0: So welcome to another episode of Mark My Words, the podcast where I interview um, business entrepreneurs, startups and founders, and also charity founders about their insights. Um, so today I'm really pleased to welcome Clinton with us, who is from our currently charity partner, Eve's Trust. Um, so Clinton, could you tell us first about yourself, what you do and what the charity does,
1: please? Uh, yeah, hi Mark. Um, it's nice to be catching up again it's been a while um yeah so we set up the charity in 2011 um after this i passing of it on my co-founder martin's mum eve um and he eve had been poorly for quite a while she recovered and then she became poorly again uh, martin was raising loads of funds at the time um, not for anybody in particular lots of different cancer charities in the area um, and I really wanted to do something. I didn't know what. I was happy to run marathons and stuff. Um, so we spoke to him, we had a we had a beer after a couple of months after the Eve had passed, um, about what we were gonna do. Um and then came the idea that we were both well, we were both very uncomfortable with big wages at the top. That was one of our biggest problems with the side of fundraising. Um So after having these conversations, we decided, well, let's just set our own charity up. Um, Let's just keep it to Doncaster um, and cancer patients, um, because then at least we could show the fundraisers and those donating where the funds was going directly. Um, It wasn't going to massive wages or anything else like that. It's going back into the local families, which we try and share on our socials and website where we can. Um, My background was absolutely nothing to do with charities. Um, I started as a young lad as a market trader. Um, I then went on into manage uh, warehouse management with uh, curries and um, then into their distribution arm. I then moved on to plumbing and heating uh, and got qualified went self-employed. I then did mainly these there's lots of other jobs in between mark but uh, these are the main ones and then I moved on to van conversions. Um, I trained to be a teacher during COVID just to keep me in work, um, but the charity has always been, or well, since the last 11 and a half years since we started it, anyway, all I wanted to do. I love doing this job, um, as sad and as hard as it can be. Um, it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life um, and being able to see where, what it's grown from and where it's going and the more that we can do is um, quite exciting for us as a charity now. Um, we've learned a lot over the last few years um, and it's uh, it's time to move on and, and step up and provide more services in our area for cancer patients.
0: Great, thank you. So varied background and I'm sure you're using those a lot of those transferable skills and and I guess it must be challenging as a co-founder to kind of um, bring all that sort of knowledge but also work so hard day to day with all the varied jobs and tasks that you've got to be doing. So what what is a typical day or typical week like for you, if, if there is such a thing?
1: Uh, I don't think there is a typical week. Um, the only typical thing probably around it is that it's busy. Um, more so uh, off the back of COVID, um, things have changed very drastically um, on our part of that. Um, to school with this lady. And he's been visiting, since he found out, he's been visiting her every day and obviously mentioned the charity to, um, to the lady's daughter who contacted us. And they simply just won um, a cinema night, uh, a cinema afternoon at um, the hospice. So that's where I've been this morning, running around, come to the office, pick the projector up, pick the screen up, download the movie go to the shops, get the popcorn, get the treats. Um, we've provided packed lunches for the family and uh, all the staff in the hospice as well um, because I think those people are just unbelievable. They, they have to do uh, constantly in the care they give. Um, so that's not a normal morning, but sometimes they can just come from nowhere. Um, there's lots of visiting um, the families we maybe worked with already uh, for those that need some extra support. Um, we're very um, focused on trying to give personal care, in, in a way, um, support more care, I suppose. Um, somebody to talk to, uh, somebody to have a lunch with, someone to have a cuppa with. Just simple things sometimes, are all that people need. Um, and then there's, like any other business, if you can picture a business, all those jobs that go within a business um, have got to be done. Um, So, you know, liaising with volunteers, trying to create new collaborations, going to networking events, doing all the other stuff we've got going on with events of our own, our Memorial Garden, our Legends event. Um, We've already had 17 um, Dream applications in seven weeks this year, which is unheard of. So, as you can imagine, that's going to create a lot of work, just paperwork alone uh, and work from our volunteers. And I have to be careful, again, with my volunteers. I don't like them to do too many close together um, because, unfortunately, the vast majority of ours since COVID have uh, become terminal applications. Um, we move from uh, 20 25% of terminal applications uh, pre-COVID um, Post-COVID, we're looking at an 80-85% um, application rate for terminal diagnosis. So as you can imagine, that shortens our time period as well to what we can get stuff done for people and also limits what they're capable of doing. Um, so that puts quite a lot of pressure on us um, to get it done. Obviously, that's what we're here for. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I have I just try and protect the volunteers as best I can on that because it's they're not easy, some of them. Uh, Especially when you create um, a relationship with the family you're working with. Um, So I think it's always good through personal experience to give a break um, between the dreams, or especially if the terminal um, to have a break, because, like I say, it it does affect the volunteers. Um, Some volunteers start out and do the dreams that maybe even come from doing a dream, um, but once they've done one and uh, maybe lost somebody, um, they there's quite a few step back at that point because they realise it brings up quite a lot of traumas Yeah, um, it's not for everybody uh, has to be managed very carefully. I mean, I'm making sure I'm talking to my volunteers all the time and also making sure that, you know, the families are still comfortable mm-hmm. talking to somebody else because initial contact will always be me at the moment. And so we can yeah. uh, get some more in, um which is probably our biggest issue right now
0: mm-hmm. okay we'll, we'll come on to those thank you yeah I, I can imagine that the emotional sort of impact and dealing with that emotional trauma must be really hard both for the families the individuals and and those that are helping yeah okay um so you mentioned about the kind of in recent months whether the 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 kind of a lot more cases that are terminal i suppose so why do you think that is? Is, is that because of the impact of COVID still, Mr. appointments? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, exactly. I think it's such a multitude of things right now. Um, obviously, during COVID, getting into the doctors was an absolute nightmare. Treatment was stopped for people, uh, not just in cancer, heart and all the rest of it. Um, and then even now, I'm sure 99% of people who watch this will agree you can't get into your doctor's. You just can't. You can't get in to see somebody in the store. These are the stories that we're hearing over and over and over. People are at home. Uh, they're in pain. They'll manage the pain best they can while they can. Then it'll get worse. Then they'll try and get into the doctors. They can't either get into the doctors or it's tried to be done over the phone. Um, so we're getting a little, quite a few misdiagnosis. So it's getting missed earlier. Um, so by the time maybe the pain's just gone through the roof and they can't deal with it anymore, they usually then end up. Take, being taken to a or something like that or straight mm-hmm. down to the doctors um to which point then you know we're finding out we're on stage three and stage four of cancer mm-hmm. um you know like say the lady who have just helped uh, this morning she only found out just over a week ago um and there's also the, the probably the fear of it still mm-hmm. I think the, that that People haven't been able to get in and they've seen the rates of cancer go up and they've seen people around and getting it more. I think people are probably more scared to go and get that um, diagnosis as well. Um, it's always scary going for something like that. Um, mm. But the only thing is, is you any signs of this, you've, you've just got to bang your drum as loud as you can yeah. and get into those places and get checked up because we know the, the early diagnosis is the only way we can
0: mm-hmm.
1: try and fight cancer. Um, and that's the the really really important part. If you don't think you're right, please please you know just push as hard as you can to be seen the yeah. actual scene because that's the important part. They're not visually inspecting people sometimes, and mm-hmm. that's really really what needs to happen. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that the COVID has just flipped it on its head. Yeah, uh, it was very st- steady, a bit more streamed before. Um, like I say, we didn't really have that many terminal diagnoses. That could also come with the fact that, you know, maybe more people are aware of who we are and that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's just speaking to the, uh, the staff at places like the St. John's Hospice and up at the Chatsfield suite where they do the chemotherapy, they're, they're seeing it as well, obviously mm-hmm. in bigger figures than what we're seeing. it. So it's um, tough times ahead, I think, for at least the next couple of years. Mm-hmm.
0: So definitely important messages to get across. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's... it's and I, mean, I don't know the stats, you probably know the stats, but I would imagine that, you know, so many people have direct or indirect experience of, of people living with cancer and, and you know, and, and suffering with cancer and... and Absolutely. ...terminal cancer as
1: well, yeah. i a going through it myself. My aunt my is um, fighting cancer at the moment. Um, that's just matter of time. She's just fighting to, you know, be alive as long as she can. Um, you know, I lost my uncle four years ago to it. Uh, we've got a couple of our volunteers, including uh, my, my co-founder, whose parents are battling it. My, one of those other volunteers, mum's got it. She lost a grandma not so long back to cancer as well. So we just feel like you're constantly surrounded now. Um, I mean, we already know the statistics now are one to. two. Um, but you know, at the same time, prior to COVID, with the recovery rates, were getting better and, mm-hmm. and the treatments and everything else, but other things, things been knocked out or killed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so hopefully we can get back to that. Um, and at the same time, just trying to spread and raise awareness of other charities and support groups that are available, um, which again is massively important. Um, I know it's really difficult for a lot of people to talk about things. But I think with something like this, um, if you haven't got a family member or you don't maybe want to talk to that immediate family member, there are support groups out there, um, you know, and just contact somebody. Yeah. Just try and get some conversations going, even if it's just for advice um, on mm-hmm. maybe pain or anything. You know, there are people out there that are willing to help. You've sometimes just got to go and knock on the right door um and again if you get through to someone you can then ask them um, if they know of anybody else so they can put you in touch with and that's the hard bit and that's that's the bit we're working on in the background to try and make that a little bit easier for people in the area
0: and and you've already mentioned about the demand or increase in demand for your services and what you do this year so so I guess it the challenge is how do you manage all that so and, and like how do you reach out to more people and how do you make that impact so what what would you say are say the three key challenges that you've got as a charity at the moment
1: um I mean our biggest challenge has probably always been raising awareness um I mean we're eleven and a half years running um and we're just starting maybe the last year or so to really get out there and re- people really un- know who we are and spread the word about us. The other would be, as all charity is, unfortunately, is finances. Um, we we are very active in trying to make sure we, we're not reliant on funding and we're not reliant on one source of funding, whether through mm. fundraising or whatever it be. So we try and have a good mixture. We put our own fundraising events on. So we have like our Legends events, our football event um, at the Doncaster Rover Stadium, the Eco Power Stadium. Um, that last year raised one hundred twenty nine thousand. Wow, was mind blowing last year. That was, I think, fifty thousand plus more than we've made before. Um, so that's gathering momentum nicely. Um, it's becoming a bit of an event within the town. And then we have our usual skydive and a few other bits. We're looking at a few new projects this year. Um, uh, we're looking to launch in the next couple of days uh, an event called Marathon Madness Two which is an event I did back in 2015 when I had an operation on my back. Um, One of my discs I had 20% taken off. I needed to do something a bit daft. Um, So we decided to do uh, eight barathons in six days, which is uh, running for and biking for uh, the biking one over two days. Um, Unfortunately for me, last year, last February, which is over a year ago, I had a heart attack, um, which is... You know we'll maybe talk a bit more about, but yeah, that that brought its own challenges. So I decided I wanted to bring Marathon Madness two back. I needed to find a way to challenge myself mentally, um, mm-hmm. as well as physically. Um, so that and then it's it, the next win for, it would always be volunteers. Having the right volunteers is so so important. Um, we're really lucky. Um, we've created a, a family atmosphere. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at the corporate stuff, shall we say. Um, I am when it comes to understanding it, but I don't think things need to be run like that all the time, and especially within the third sector. Um, you know, a lot of my volunteers come from families we've helped, um, either directly or indirectly. Um, so I think that in its own way does us a, a bit of a favour because they know who we are, they know what we're about, um, they can, they're already engaged with us. Um, and we don't, we try not to put too much pressure on our volunteers yeah. at the beginning because they want to come and do as much as they can. And sometimes they they all mean well, but again, you're holding them back from burning themselves out. Yeah. And taking something on maybe they haven't done before because they won't have any um, anticipation of what comes along with that afterwards. Um, yeah. I found that quite difficult at the beginning. Um, I'm quite good at processing my emotions and things like that, but it definitely creeps up on you when you've maybe done mm-hmm. a couple too many or you've been a bit too busy, which unfortunately has to happen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've never we've been fortunate never to turn anybody down for a dream from the area. Um, it's difficult when someone applies from outside of the area. We want to help everybody, um, but I would say they they're probably our top three at the moment, um, mm-hmm. which is always the same. And again, because with the wages side of things and funding the staff to keep it going and grow it, we don't take a, a wage from the donations. Um, so we only take wages via gift aid fundraising, core funding, and other ways that are directly out. That all the other money goes into the dreams and, and the basic running of the charity. And um, that was how we set up from the beginning, um, and we've we've managed to stick to that. And um, it's been a difficult decision. It's again not knowing charity work from the beginning they didn't realize that would be such a problem um but you just have to find a way around your problems like any other business yeah and I
0: guess I often hear that um the people that sometimes don't know the charity sector people think that charities are purely run by volunteers and and that's how they should be and on the one hand I, I get that but but equally when you like you said running a charity is like running a business so when you yeah. when you break it down would you like to be responsible for safeguarding adult protection marketing risk governance data you know emotional well-being of staff volunteers when you put it like that you know it kind of puts it in context i think doesn't it
1: but it would be perfect to do it unpaid i would love to do that yeah. i really would um, but you know the what I've been doing this four days a week. That's what I do at the moment. Uh, for a year and a half, I think it is. Mm. And then I did it for two days uh, for two years prior to that. So all the other eight years, have mm. all been done off my own back. Work same as mine, working a full time job already. Um, retraining, doing it on an evening, doing it on the weekend, taking time away from your family. I, uh, you know, using your own fuel, using your own bar. Yeah. All these things you. You do it all out of the goodness of your heart, um, but then you do realise, right, okay, so I can't earn as much money um, because I can't work as many hours. Um, I don't see my kids as much or my wife as much um, because a lot of my free time now is taken up running the charity. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice thought, and, and it's lovely. I think if people are maybe in a financial position, they can do that. Mm-hmm. And By all means, if I come into some money and I, I don't need to take a wage, I never would take a wage, mm-hmm. because... You know, the job itself is fulfilling enough, but unfortunately, bills need paying. And I have two teenage daughters. So, um, you know, another couple of years and I might have a bit more money, but not just yet.
0: <laughs> that might be a whole different podcast episode working with teenagers, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you kind of touched on this. So let's go with this now. So how how do you um look after yourself, take care of yourself, managing all those demands? And, you know, I guess you've alluded to the stress a little bit. So, is there anything you want to say about that?
1: Yeah, um, I think like most people, I have good times, bad times. Um, I'm very switched on when it comes to learning about mental health. I've done, uh, um, I've done my supervisor's uh, first aid mental health courses and stuff like that. I've suffered from depression and stuff myself. Um, I suffer from undiagnosed ADHD um which my major problem is anxiety um as you'll probably know when we've had conversations um at networking events i it's sometimes a bit overwhelming um so for me it's all been about training myself uh, mentally physically um i know we all know the physical rewards um, you know it's it's well listed i think especially over the last few years the The strides we've made on talking about mental health has been huge. Um, And we need to keep doing that. Um, That's all I do. Um, I've always been quite good at talking about my emotions, Um, more so as I've got older in life, I think, and especially doing this with the charity. Um, But not always. Um, You know, I put a lot of stress and pressure on myself. I'm only supposed to be four days. Some days I'll do six, seven days a week because if there's a lot coming in or there's a lot to do, I don't I don't want to let anybody down, um, not for the positions that they're in anyway. And unfortunately, like most jobs, then that means you're overworking yourself, um, you then stop doing maybe the things you should be doing. Um, so I do a lot of breathing exercises. Um, I follow the Wim Hof method, uh, which I started back in May last year after my heart attack, which is about uh, breathing techniques and uh, cold showers and lots of other stuff to build. Immune system up to build your mental well-being up. One thing I would say, you know, if people do suffer with anxiety and and depression and things like that, things like this is so good for anxiety. Things you know, the breathing exercises not only bringing the calmness. Um, to maybe finish your day if you've had a hectic day, or start your day if your brain's running at the beginning, just to give you that more calmer approach or to maybe calm down on the night. So it's not running around in your head until midnight, and then you go into bed and waking up at five o'clock and sending emails. Um, you know, we can't do that anymore. It's it's not good for us. Um, the stress, I think, is like anything, it's quite difficult um, to gauge. I didn't believe I was overly stressed, um, but now looking back, I know I was, um, because what you look back at and, and realise is the trends of stuff you've started to do. So done a few less showers, I've done a few less breathing sessions, maybe a little bit more junk food, maybe going to bed a little bit later, maybe not doing as many runs. So all of a sudden, that stress because you're mm. so tired and you're so worn out starts affecting the other stuff that actually makes you better and makes you perform. Um, I really struggled December. Um, I think there was a lot going off. We had quite a few events on, we had quite a few dreams going off. And I just want, like everybody else, to get to that point where I relax with my family. Um, so I made sure the start of this year, I got back onto my focus with my breathing, uh, my cold showers, uh, and I've, I have started running again as part of Marathon Madness 2 training. So I know from past running how good that is for me mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I wasn't a runner before. I was just a footballer broke my leg and I had to stop playing, but I needed to fill that void with something. And I find running the best for me because it allows me to process my thoughts and everything that's going off rather than maybe trying to fit that in your half an hour commute to work. Because mm. That's healthy. Um, you know, trying to go process your day ahead or you process your day after in a rushed um, setting where you're not de-stressed and you're not relaxed is not really um gonna get you very far in front. It's very important to take that time out um, um, and find a way mentally more than I know physical is extremely important, but without the mental strength, you're probably gonna struggle to do the physical. Um I have regular counselling, I have counselling once a month now. Um I probably feel like I've discussed a lot of the problems and issues I have as a person. I now use that as a proactive thing. So I'd rather keep in touch talking to my counsellor about something that might pop up or she might know it's a little trait in something I'm doing and can pull me up on it rather than being reactive and getting to the point where I'm really stressed again and I'm really doing anything and then going back to her and then starting all over again. Um, and that came from a tip um, from one of the staff at um, St John's Hospice just down the road who supported me a couple of years ago when I was struggling. And she said that's what they do there. They're encouraged to all go even if they don't feel like they're struggling because it's good to talk about stuff. And it's good to get ahead of it uh, rather than waiting until it's uh, too late and you're feeling at the bottom of the barrel again.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I know just hearing that, and I know when we've had chats offline before, definitely gives me food for thoughts and the stuff you've said. So so would you, thank you. And also thank you for sharing about the heart attack, that must have been really scary. So would you say that's so, changed you, changed your outlook? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, maybe not to other people might not see that. Um but yeah, it, it definitely changed me mentally. Mm. Um I think this is well, this is definitely one of the reasons why I'm I'm doing Marathon Madness too. Nobody wants me to do it. Um, mm. my, my family, my trustees, nobody, because obviously they're worried about me and they care about me, which is lovely. Um, but something changed in me as a person um uh, when that happened. I'm a highly motivated motivated individual I like to push myself um, and better myself as much as possible um, and I wasn't quite sure if I was going to be able to do that um, after the heart attack um, but listened to people took my time talked about things slowly started getting fitter and fitter more walking more distances little runs um until the point i ran yesterday um on his 8.4 mile yesterday and it's about my seventh run back after 18 months so something i'm doing is right um but again i i love the feeling once i've got into a routine of running because you process like you process your day mm-hmm. in the first 20 minutes and you spend the rest of it just enjoying the trees and the birds and the mm-hmm. sunshine and everything else that you know starts your day on a positive note um, and again, gets all the endorphins and everything else running so you can challenge your day Um, motivated, shall we say. Just like most people, most days look ahead and you're like, how am I going to fit all that in today? Uh, how? And then you're like, right, OK, all we need to do is focus, structure and, 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 you know, and go about your day in that way. And what, what you can get done gets done. And what you can't, unfortunately, just has to wait for the next day. You know, we can't extend our hours. Every day, oh, what well, yeah. if I just do another hour and another hour and another hour? You know, yeah. when I know people like you and other people I work with, and up till midnight, emailing email people because you feel you've got to get that job done for them. And um, that's one thing I would definitely say to people yes, it is important we get jobs done, and we support. We can also just be honest with people and just mm. say, Look, I'm absolutely snowed under, or, I'm just struggling at the moment. Are we all right if we can just delay this by a, a week or two or a couple of days? Just be honest, that's that's all I try to do. If I can't be somewhere because something's come up or I may be struggling, I'll just see if I can rearrange it. Um, because what I did notice after the heart attack, excuse me, uh, after being, I think I was off for seven, eight weeks, it carried on running. I did mm-hmm. very, 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 very minimal emails. Mm-hmm. And because obviously I, I look after the vast majority of things um, but yeah, the charity continued. The charity was still here after I came back. Um, so, yeah, you've got to realise your, your importance to yourself and your health is paramount wow. to that. Thank you. Loads of advice and food
0: for thought there. Definitely. Um, so I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you is I know that you're a firm believer in and an advocate for partnership working. So can you tell us why you think that's so important and, and
1: what that's about for you, really? Yeah, I mean, that that's come from me from my personal experience or viewing it as an outsider. So I've, I've maybe been doing networking just over a year and a half. Um, just trying to figure it out. I, I've, I've maybe tried to work with a couple of charities before and it's, like it's maybe not quite worked or they maybe not back to me. And it always led me to wonder why other charities don't want to work together or are reluctant to work together. Um, because I don't, I did, I couldn't in my own little head, I couldn't see why. Um, because I just saw it as everybody looking at it like a business. I know we have to do that to an extent, but at the same time, we're all in that sector. Hopefully, to help people. Um, so why why we can't team together to help people was beyond me. Um, so yeah, I just looked at uh, starting up a networking event um, with our marketing team and a couple of other people. Um, to get people talking again, uh, just within the third sector and suppliers of the third sector. Um, and all of a sudden, when you start talking to people about collaboration, like, oh, well, yeah, that could work. Just because you're in within the same sector or the same area, whether it be SEND or whatever, generally, most charities are doing something a little bit different to the other one. They're not generally the same. So one might have a, a, a fantastic workspace. You know, one might have a, a great field or a great connection with something, other other stuff going off with animals, I don't know. But unless we're talking with each other and asking the questions, or, you know, what where do you need support or what do you need? Oh, right, well, weirdly, we can help with that because we do this, this, this and this. Um, So all of a sudden, you got, right, okay. And literally, since the networking, having got the more, more collaborations over 12 to 18 months and all the other years, Um, because it's, again, it was getting that message I think across to the charities and the CICs and everybody else that I'm not out there to pinch your fundraisers and I very much doubt anybody else's Um, all we ask is people have good morals um, which again, I generally don't find many people in that sector that haven't because we're there to help people Um, but yeah, you know don't go pinching somebody's fantastic idea for an event have your own but there's no reason we can't support you doing that. We might have, you know, marquees or we might have some bits you can use at your event. That may save you having to go out and hire them or buy them if you're not big enough, if you don't have the funds. So again, that would be all about supporting the smaller charities and CICs coming through. I know what that fight's like. I know having some support is wonderful. Um, Even if it's just small, I don't think a lot of people realise that. Um, And then the other thing is, changing um, businesses' perspective and view of charities. Because I still think, when people think of charities, they're thinking someone stood in front of a shop, oh, look at me, facts, I've got one of you. You know, that's not how charities really run anymore. Don't get me wrong, there's still stores in shops and stuff, uh, but that's generally, I would say, for raising awareness. Mm. Um, a lot of CICs and charities are, uh, are well-established and funded. Um, so if it's anything like me uh, as a charity we've always tried to keep local we've always tried to order local where we can and use local businesses Um, and again it's just about supporting each other Um, and it'd be nice I think for some of them to start looking at us differently you know I don't knock on everyone's door or email or go into a shop for something free all the time don't get me wrong that would be wonderful that's not life Um, businesses need to survive and businesses are going through tough times as well all we ask is you work with us give us a little bit of discount you know we've mm-hmm. done our we might have done our fundraising we might have secured a grant um for the items that we're going to buy we just have for a little bit of discount to help mm-hmm. us out and it's surprising all of a sudden when they realize that's all you want how much how much more willing they are to help i've literally mm-hmm. had people on the phone telling me they can't help me because you know um you know when do we stop helping people well, you know, choosing a moment when I'm asking for help with someone with cancer is probably not it. But, um, you know, then I just said, look, I weren't after anything for free, mate. I just wanted some discount. Oh, right, right, right. Well then, well then. Oh, I'll take 50%. I'm like, if i got 25%, I'll be chuffed. And now you're giving them a 50%. But again, it was that mindset of his that I wanted something for free all the time. there's not, not really not the case. You know, we had some funding at the, at the back end of last year I couldn't spend it. I had a limited <laughs> time to spend it and I could not spend it local. Because they just again I think as soon as they see da 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 from you know so so charity, da 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 I think they just maybe switch off on that first front line. So maybe I need to speak to you and we need to change our email approach a little bit differently as charities. Um but yeah, and again, I'm hoping now as we go forward um and we build these charity networking events as well that the companies will see that as well mm-hmm. you know we want to work we 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 are potential customers as well we don't want everything for free so come and work with us um because you might find that a little bit more rewarding as well
0: mm. great again loads of tips and advice. so so thinking about if you were to go back when you were starting again it sounds like you've learned so Run much. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> what would be the top piece of advice or tip would you give to yourself if you started again or or other people that are listening to this that are in a similar, maybe thinking about starting a charity or quite new to the charity sector, would you say?
1: Yeah. Um, take your time. Sit. Talk to those around you who love and care about you. What you've got to bear in mind running a charity or CIC is it's going to take a lot of commitment. And there's not always money in it, not at the beginning, like businesses. Um, you know, like I said, I did it for free for eight years, um, which was really, really difficult. Um, I think one thing I would have advised myself would be to get out there earlier. Maybe like what I've been suggesting to some of the other charities and CICs who were starting out is I know you can't always make the networking events because they're in the daytime, um, but maybe put half a day's holiday in, maybe put a day's holiday in and go to some. They're the important part. Those mm-hmm. conversations with other charities or other businesses, whichever you're going into, need to happen because they'll give you the tips. They'll give you the connections. They're the conversations you need to have to see if it's even worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I'd have had that information about getting out there earlier, it would have made my life so much easier to get the charity to where it is now and mm-hmm. save me so much stress and a lot of hours Um. I think that would be the, the biggest one. Um, and then the other would be I think we did this anyway, but make sure you have a focal point of where you're wanting to help. Have a look around your area who's already doing that. Um, you, you do need to have a bit of a niche um, because. You don't want to be competing against loads of people doing the same thing. If you're doing something slightly different, that's when you can collaborate and you can come together and you, they don't feel challenged by you because you're not doing something exactly the same. Um, so yeah, knowing knowing what area you want to target um, and then building the build the relationships, build the relationship from the beginning because again, a lot of charities are chosen for I don't know a one off or twelve months and all the rest of it. And I think some from the companies I'm starting to speak to now, they're now looking, starting to look beyond that because they realise that it works and it helps. Mm. But going forward, it doesn't put a big enough plan together. Mm. Um, And they're starting to talk to me now about wanting to see where it is in three, four or five years because the staff want to see that as well. It's nice for them to have a full production. You know, you know, you don't just get to see the start, you get to see the end as well. Um, And I think that, again, is vastly important because once they can see the journey for us being a dream um, or doing a memorial garden, they're more inclined to talk about you as well. You know, Mm. raising awareness when you're a small charity and haven't got much money is so difficult. You know, the social media platforms make it extremely hard for you with their algorithms. I would say on that front, LinkedIn is absolutely a must uh, for charities, again, creating those connections and make sure you connect with those connections. Yeah. Don't just go, oh, you know, I'll maybe do that in a week or two. When you've had your networking events or whatever, straight on, straight connected. Um, because you might not be able to talk to everybody straight away within the first few weeks, but there's no reason you can't go back and keep those relationships as well. Um I say you're very good
0: at LinkedIn you're, yeah, you are yeah I'm
1: you're trying that, that that was that was the last one I came to um and again I've taken a bit of advice um looking for people like yourselves and and Doncaster Chamber who supported me um learning how to do that and how different it is to other social media um mm. it's definitely I I prefer the space on there mm. um because you know there's very little negativity in there. It's generally people trying to look after people and up people and promote what they're doing, which I love. Um, it's a shame more social media platforms aren't like that. Um, And I, I I, love that. And I found that weird when I first came on. I was like, oh, this is just like every other social media platform. Um, But then you start connecting with more people. And like, ah, it's absolutely not. It's mm-hmm. so it's so much better than that for things like running your charity or your business. Um, but then that all comes down to the work you're going to put in yourself to make the connections. Um, it's it's not going to come and find you. I can guarantee, you, unless you're extremely lucky, uh, it, it, it's not going to come and find you until you're putting yourself out there.
0: Oh, thank you. So, so if anyone's watching this, the video or listening to it on the podcast, um, and think actually, yeah, I want to help. Whether they're in Doncaster, South Yorkshire, whether they're further afield, what
1: would you say to them, and how can they get involved? Um, you by all means, come and get involved. Um, what we do is when everybody wants to get involved, or we have new volunteers coming forward, is we have a conversation with them, and um, because we've got so many areas within the charity, um, it's like again, I keep saying it, but like a business, you know, yeah. you've got different departments, and we've got different projects, so. It's about what suits the individual so we're on um we're under eve's trust on facebook instagram twitter we've got a little bit on tiktok that's my youth volunteer group um which is supposed to be looking after that and they're not really doing that right now um and then linkedin and then you can email us at, uh, info at evestrust.co.uk. Um, you can contact us by phone anywhere you want anywhere you want it'll of the time, it's me that'll pick it up anyway. Um, The the phone call or the email or the socials. Um, But yeah, even if it's not us and you feel like you want to do something positive, maybe just sometimes even just for yourself. People are very wary of helping charities because they think it's selfish. So what? So what if it's selfish to be nice and feel good about yourself? Don't worry about them other people. Tell them to go take a running jump. Um, because that winds me up, uh, you know, oh, they're only doing it because they want to make the seven feel better. Well, when you help people, that's generally what happens anyway. You know, why not feel better about yourself? What's wrong with that like? So, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to get in touch and help us or other charities, most of them are on socials. Go reach out to them, have a conversation with them um, uh, because the demand in society as a whole is, is growing. Um, you know, we know what times we're living in right now with uh, a very difficult for a lot of people. Um, so I think many hands make light work as they say. It's a good quote Is, yeah.
0: Is there anything else you want to say or share at all? Um, just
1: just if you can follow us you know follow our <laughs> journey you know drop us a message uh, and support you know we've got a, a memorial garden that we're currently building. Um, in Doncaster since the back end of COVID and we've lost like over 39 people, I think now, in the last two and a half years. Um, You know, we've got a youth volunteer group. We've got a craft department. We've got so much going. Charities aren't just what people think anymore. We've had Mm -hmm. to evolve and we've had to change. Um, So please reach out to charities. Um, People like yourself as well, Mark. I know this podcast isn't about you particularly. Um, but the support people like yourselves give to us um, via your own things like a chosen charity or the, the work you do with local chambers and everything else, we need to keep that going and we need to strengthen it as much as possible um, because I know without the likes of yourself, um, Brett and Wendy, I, I, I don't know where I'd be. I'd probably still be running around in the little circle with a million ideas, um, After our first conversation, (laughs) thank you, brilliant.
0: And then, um, finally, I was asked my guests if there's a question that they want to ask me. So this is, don't know what's coming. So be kind, be nice. But is there anything that you want to ask me at all?
1: Yeah. All right then. Um, (laughs) what what would be your um, biggest point to a charity or CIC just starting out on to where to focus initially? Because I think with the knowledge and history you've got of helping that would probably be more relevant. That's a very good question. Yeah,
0: that's like, feels
1: like an essay question. But yeah, I would
0: say <laughs> again, similar to what you've said, I suppose, just take a bit of time to take a step back and also think about what's motivated you because often People come to it from a particular experience, story, yeah. journey, either directly or indirectly. Particularly when it's charity, CIC, so you kind of take a bit of time to think about what's that about, and and how is that guiding you, and what will you take from that. So sometimes it's like actually there wasn't any any help for somebody like me in that situation. So I don't want people, I don't want people to go through it alone, or. Um, there wasn't enough of that support, or, you know, there's that gap. Um, so yeah, I would say take some time. And th- and then just like you said, build those connections, take some time, build those relationships, and really sort of break it down simply, because it, it's so easy to think, to get overwhelmed with charity sort of structures, or yeah. you've got to have marketing plans, or this, that and the other. but just break it down. Like, what is it you're trying to achieve? What impact do you want? Start small and work from there. If that's not too woolly. um, No. But yeah, no, I I think that's what I would say. Um, But listen, thank you so much for your time. And I think you've given us loads of insights there. I really appreciate it. I'm sure, and I know the charity will keep doing great things and continue to grow. And uh, if you're listening or watching this, do check out the website, the social medias, I'm sure. & Co will be pleased to hear from you soon. So thank no, you very no, much. No, no thank, thank you me. for your time, Mark. Much appreciated as always. You're welcome. You're welcome.